All right, now we're going to bring in John Clark, patch him through to find out what the heck is going on in the world of oil and gas, negative oil prices. Then it bleeped in the black again, and now who knows what's going to happen next. So it's been the last uh, kind of a whirlwind the last couple days, John Clark. Hey, Jason. Yeah, how are you doing today? Hey, not bad. How are you? Hanging in there, man. I was uh, starting to feel like Groundhog Day just about every day of lockdown, so still getting past that. But uh, yeah, yesterday was a shocking day for oil markets and a lot of, you know, I actually didn't even watch the news yesterday, Jason, but I got all of my news from friends texting me and social media just blowing up about the oil market cratering, and it's it's really unprecedented. I, I, I follow futures market and even traders that have been trading oil and gas for decades, you know, gray-haired, older than me, have said they've never seen anything like negative prices, and I certainly have not, and that was definitely a shock to witness yesterday. I think people were posting almost uh, maybe in advance of the fall, saying, oh, wow, we're down to 15 bucks, and then it's like, here goes 10, 5, 1, oh my God, we're going negative. Negative $37 was the low print yesterday, and it shook the markets, not only the oil markets, but even the stock markets, and certainly that's the topic uh, of interest today. Well, the thing that's interesting about the oil and gas when it comes to the stock market is that so much of the oil and gas industry dictates the economy, and even if you take a look at what's been going on with the current state of the economy, you know... when China kind of went through their lockdown, shortly after that, the oil industry got hit pretty hard. And Whiting, you know, was laying off a third of the staff last July. And Halliburton laid off a couple thousand people just in Grand Junction in October. And, you know, we saw the stories happening left and right. And to see, so actually, when you and I talked about a one-two punch, I think it was a one-two-three punch. And now it's a four and then maybe a five coming. So we've got the original Chinese lockdown. That's a huge economy that was shut down over there for a couple months while they went into countrywide quarantine or whatever they did. And then, of course, we have it here. And then you've got the Russia and Saudi Arabia shenanigans as well. And then negative oil. And we're not even going to get into the Texas Railroad Commission, which could be uh, another historic as well. So it's very difficult to even navigate where we're going to be next week, John Clark. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, it, you know, the price dropped so fast yesterday. It's, it really kind of rattled a lot of even traders that have been, you know, trading, making markets for, for years. It's uh, something we've never seen before. And it, it, it can be a little scary when you see something go negative. And I'll talk a little bit about that. So, uh, for, for those, well, I was going to yeah. I was going to ask you, um, you know, you, you talk to a number of people on the phone, you check out a number of Twitter feeds and, and, uh, different things like that. And your family's in the industry too. So, I mean, you do know quite a few people. Um, what are you hearing from people? Are, are you hearing anything? Are you seeing anything? Are you tweeting anything? Yeah, I talked to a good friend of mine. He was on the rig yesterday. Imagine being on a drilling rig in West Texas watching oil prices go negative. He, <laughs> I can only imagine that what that felt like. I was just sitting here at home uh, like a lot of people are right now. Um, there's there's people that are still working, still employed, but uh, you know, certainly uncertain about 
you know, what the future is. I think we all are in that state right now. Um, given the coronavirus pandemic, it's really something we've never seen. You know, the question is, you know, when will demand come back? It's really a question about demand. And, you know, the supply is, is a, is a function of the fact that producers, because of various reasons that, you know, I talk about in my posts and, and to my clients, there are so many different um, scenarios, business models, and, uh, you know, p- you know, pieces of acreage and reservoir quality and different factors that impact every, you know, of the many thousand producers differently, and not to mention the service companies, you know, and I think what, what I've seen, what I've heard is a lot of the service companies, when we have an oil price downturn, tend to get hit first, you know, they're kind of the, the first line of capital expenditure. And so I've, I've definitely heard of, uh, unfortunately, a few of my peers um, getting laid off on the service side. And, um, you know, I think that's pretty, pretty much across the board in the industry. That's, you know, a question people are asking. And, and it, I think it affects d- even different segments of the service industry. You know, you have obviously the drilling rigs, you got the frat crews, you got everything from production chemicals uh, to the artificial lift mechanisms that get oil and you know gas out of the ground and the facilities. There's just all these different considerations. And, and when you shut in a well, what does that do to the whole system? And um, that, you know, we're, we're starting to, when, when you get, when you see negative prices, that basically is the market saying you have to pay the buyer to sell your oil. And so it, it's, it's kind of, it's almost like shots were fired yesterday and the market is telling producers, look, um, we, there's no, there's really no bottom to where we can go in prices just because the demand has been shocked so greatly and supply is getting filled up, you know, rapidly. And so it's basically, if you want to store oil, um, the, the marketers are saying we, you know, we can go get really expensive. They're called FPSOs, like floating production storage and offloading vessels that can sit on the water, but that's about it right now. A lot of the on you know, the onshore tanks are, are getting full. Cushing is expected to be full in a couple weeks. And so uh, we're really kind of running out of space. And what we saw yesterday in the in the price drop was really a, actually a technical factor uh, that's based on the futures contract expiring. So that the May contract for crude oil futures, the NYMEX, New York Mercantile Exchange, expired today at 1.30 Central. And so that contract can no longer be traded. And I'll talk just real briefly on on uh, how the futures contracts change every month. So you typically traders will trade one month in advance. You can buy futures or sell futures, you know, years in advance. Um, but the futures market was created back in the, the late 1800s. Um, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange uh, started the... I think it was the egg, butter, and cheese market. And so farmers had to know uh, what price can they sell at in months ahead before they make an investment to produce their crops or uh, milk the cows or what have you. And so so the same is true in oil and gas. If you're a producer or a seller, you can buy or sell crude oil on the futures market in the future. And uh, But at, you know, at the end of the front month, it, that future, that contract expires, making it worthless and in other words if you uh, are going to buy a contract expiring in may which expired today and you're still holding on to it that uh, contract will take delivery 
And each contract, each oil futures contract is 1,000 barrels. So if you are a trader and um, you hold a contract for expiry, you know, for May and you held on to that contract, it would be delivered to you physically. Now, there's a difference between physical delivery traders and um, the financial derivative traders. So about half of the oil market that's traded is actual physical barrels. The other half is just people making a profit trading the paper. And so that's part of the phenomenon of what happened. But certainly seeing negative prices was shocking. And uh, and the, the, now we're looking at June oil. And so the question remains, what will demand look like in June? We already saw the June contract drop 40% today. So last night it was at $20 a barrel um, and dropped overnight. I think it settled around 11 or 12. So what I'm seeing in the market are red warning signs. And so it's, um, you know, what it really comes down to what demand does. And uh, I think, you know, as the economy starts to open back up, you know, we'll get more information on how that's really affecting the markets. But certainly the oil and gas shock is impacting the globe, and it may even be a telltale sign to what could be ahead if, if uh, things don't open up sooner than later. How about what are you hearing from people? Uh, two final questions, I guess. Um, then who knows? It'll probably expand into more off those two. But the one is uh, nationalizing oil, paying the uh, oil companies to keep it in the ground. That's a Like I said, the Texas Railroad Commission is going on as we are speaking right now, and that, that was part of the preview from last week was that discussion might come up, whether they are going to control production to the tune of paying people and subsidizing it. And then, of course, that opens up the bigger question of if that does happen across the United States, really what we're doing is we're turning oil into corn and soybeans, where the government's basically treating it like a, a agriculture commodity. Uh, I do want to ask you about that. And then the other one is tariffs. Uh, you can choose if you want hot potato number one or hot potato number two. So <laughs> they're both kind of controversial in their own ways. But at the same time, it is healthy that we do have these discussions. Right. Yeah, we, we heard the Texas Railroad Commission speak last week and, and the last OG brief that I published um, covered a lot on that. And uh, they actually had a meeting today as well and decide to defer their vote for mandatory production cuts in Texas until May 5th. Uh, and so um, we actually heard the U.S. Energy Secretary, Dan Bruyette, he spoke on Bloomberg today, and he, he basically said that, um, and, and Trump tweeted today, I don't know if you saw that, he, he says, Trump, I'll quote, we'll never let the great U.S. oil and gas industry down. I have instructed the Secretary of Energy and the Secretary of the Treasury to formulate a plan which will make available, uh, make oil available for these important companies and jobs will be securing long into the future. I think I may have butchered that a bit, but, um, you know, it's taking recognition at the federal level. Um, and I think the U.S. Energy Secretary has, has looked further into uh, the SPR deal, what they can do to bail out energy companies. Um, I'm certainly not the best person to ask about politics uh, on Capitol Hill, but I, I do think that this shock has really kind of spoken loud and clear and the industry really needs you know some help. These the, And our last comment, and I think Jason, we talked about free markets in the last OG brief and you know a lot of economists have said, yes, free markets are 
you know, the way that capitalism should thrive. And that's really how the shale revolution got us to where we are today. But these are unprecedented times. And so there may be additional stimulus uh, ahead for certain oil companies. And I don't know exactly what that would look like. Um, but the, t- the question of tariffs was brought up. And uh, Secretary Briette mentioned that uh, his take was that, you know, because I think I saw your post too, Jason, yesterday, the Saudis are still sending us oil, right? And so mm-hmm. we're, we're fighting, U.S. Shale is fighting against the Saudis right now. And the, a lot of the refiners, and I'm not an expert on the downstream side, but what I do know is that there's specific types of crude oil that they need in the refineries for their blends. And a lot of the sweet West Texas Intermediate uh, works well in their refiners, but they also need sour crude from the Middle East. And so the blending factor is a part of it as to which, you know, oil they choose to buy. And unfortunately, that's just the nature of, of you know, the chemistry and the physics behind it. But um, the tariffs, he didn't, uh, Secretary Bruyette did not seem to think tariffs would be the way to go. Uh, he, he said that um, the refiner's ability to choose which type of crude is a matter of trade, not dependent on uh, necessarily import. So he, he didn't seem to think that tariffs would be a solution. Well, any final thoughts? What, what, what are you thinking going in the future here as we're, we're taking a look at negative oil prices? And um, boy, you know, I mean, it's, it, it really could be, it could be, you know, six months before the economy's kicking back up again. I mean, they're, even with Vegas, they don't have any ideas. So, um, Anyway, it's just historic times, you know, and like I said, there's no right or wrong answer, I guess, on, on some of these things with tariffs and speculation and Saudi. I was going to ask you about the Saudi uh, ships coming over that Congressman Kramer sent me some quotes on that, boy, it sounds like some guys might just end up going down there with some spud guns or something to keep them off. I mean, my goodness, it reminded me of the old Tea Party days, it sounded like. Yeah, it felt like they were sending warships over almost. I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, my, I, I think we'll we'll certainly learn a lot more in the you know coming days and weeks, uh, especially as far as any bailout potential. As far as the Railroad Commission, you know, I think, and this is what John Brown, uh, former CEO of BP, had mentioned. He talked about how um, that you know the demand is down thirty percent. It will come back slowly. Um, ultimately. We're, there's still a gap between supply and demand fundamentally, and so we're seeing that in the price, you know, dropping. Um, and having seen the fact that oil went negative, I don't think that's off the table again, you know, for the June contract. So I'm very cautious. Uh, a lot of friends have asked me, should we be buying the dips in oil? Uh, I would say just hang tight. It's not really a, a, an opportunity to buy. This is a big shakeout, and we still don't know all of the factors, how it's being impacted. You know, if you think about it, the whole globe is, is at a standstill. And, uh, you know, I think some places in China, Europe are reopening slowly. You know, how quickly the reopening occurs will impact a lot. And I think um, there's, you know, certainly more risk than there is opportunity right now. It's, it's certainly can be a scary time. I would just say, especially for anyone that works in oil and gas, you know, because I, I thought this too in the last downturn in 2016, I was trading oil and gas and um, I looked at some uh, exchange-traded notes that track the oil commodity. There's one called USO and UCO that are getting really popular right now. I've been asked from some peers, oh, should I buy this? 
uh, I would caution against that. The way that those, uh, you know, if you have a broker like Fidelity or um, TD Ameritrade, uh, any of the normal, you know, pretty standard brokers out there, they typically you only have the ability to buy, first of all. You can't sell anything and short it. Uh, and secondly, a, a lot of the um, ETNs that are traded are, they don't exactly track the commodity price um, <clears throat> In a, you know, in a, it's kind of controlled how they structure the, the tracking. And, and long story short is there are some definitely um, some risks to owning any of those assets. So I, I've been asked that already. So I would just say hold off on buying any oil ETNs. I, uh, right now, this is an, a market where investors are, you know, running for the hills, not buying the dips.